Hi everyone, my name is Rashi and I'm from the Maybe Delhi campaign. Maybe Delhi is a people's campaign to make planning in Delhi more representative and inclusive by engaging citizens in the process of the 2041 master plan. Our podcast series are here to allow listeners to understand what a master plan is in the urban context and how can it become democratic and more representative. Hi Gautam, what is the history of master planning in Delhi? And what are its impacts? So the thing to remember is that a master plan is sort of one of a particular set of documents that try and somehow govern particularly the production of the built environment in Delhi, right? And they're not your overall urban development governance plans alone. So Delhi has a history of these. Are three master plans have been here. We have 20-year plans. I think it's always good to remember that the first master plan of Delhi that came in 1962 was actually commissioned by the Minister of Health at that time because a cholera epidemic had just happened. And so this notion of planning as an intervention to kind of control certain kinds of urban realities, I think that's where it's always come from. But it has always actually worked to control land. So it has become reduced to that question of an, how do I organize the use of land in order to get to certain outcomes? And all master plans struggle to hold on to the importance of those outcomes. Actually, what you're trying to plan for is an ecological balance, an equitable outcome. People have access to land and to housing. Infrastructure has space. How do you balance these competing use in a complex urban city? But you cannot, in a city like Delhi, ever think of planning outside the fact that the origins of a lot of this planning were about a colonial control of people and land, right? So Delhi's master plans come from a history of colonial planning, right? Just look at the distinction between the old city and civil lines and the separation between New Delhi. These divisions are also divisions of identity and power, native versus colonizer. And those divisions may not play on the same categories again, but planning always grapples with divisions and produces those divisions. So contemporary post-colonial divisions will become about those who can afford private property and those who can't, those who can belong to certain identity groups and those who can't, right? Implicitly and explicitly, planning is therefore always trying to say, can I create a base law? And the big thing to remember is that planning is law not policy, right? They come from an act, they're statutory documents, they can be taken to court. How does the master plan today compete between all the different claims that every square inch of land in Delhi is being asked for? I want it for environment, I want it for low-income housing, I want it for employment, I want it for open space, I want it for transport, I want it for real estate. The plan is meant to be the place where those uses get in a, not just equitably, but the power play in those competing uses. It's meant to be fought through in this part of our governance. The plan is meant to tell us that. So what are some of the critiques of the master plan, especially its process and implementation in Delhi? So one thing that is particular to planning in many Indian cities, though not all, and is different from planning in many other parts of the world, is that we made this kind of fundamental institutional shift, which is to say, take the plan and give it to a technical authority, which is full of experts, right? Keep the plan away from the messiness of politics. But the thing is, if you take something away from the messiness of politics, you also take it away from the accountability of democracy. So this creation of what is called the development authority, right? 
So why in many parts of the world, planning is part of municipal function or city government function, which means the people you vote for are also the people who make your plan. In many Indian cities like Delhi, the development authority was created, which is nominated, not elected. And therefore, it means that planning as a process was almost reduced to being something technical, right? And it has done two things. One is that it's made this impression that master planning is a technical subject expert's domain. It is not a place for democratic messiness and struggle. But if you remember what we just talked about, planning is about negotiating between competing uses for the same land. And the people competing for those uses have very different social and economic power. So one of the difficulties in the master planning process in Delhi is that it has never felt like a people's process. It has never felt transparent. It doesn't even feel messy in the way good democratic processes feel. There is no site for struggle. Because how do you enter into DDA's planning process? You can only enter if you're invited in. Draft comments, objections. But these two combinations, that the language of the plan, the notion of it is deeply technical, has made people feel, if I don't understand it, I can't even say anything about it, right? So my response to the plan becomes my opinion. It doesn't become a reasoned, you know, uh, proper objection with power. This is a false impression, right? Everyone who lives in a city has a stake in those competing uses because you're talking about public and private land. But the technical appearance of it has really hampered that notion of participation, which means people don't feel like they can participate. And even the people who feel like they can participate don't have a democratic entry into participation, right? Because they're facing a technical authority. So one of the biggest problems with master planning has been a reduction to expertise, has been this blocking of democratic accountability, this really um, late stage um, entry point for what's called participation and objections instead of entering people into the design process and the value framing and the first principle debates. And then I think the other problem, which is a real technical issue, is this 20-year cycle, right? Most places in the world have moved to much more dynamic and shorter-term cycles for planning. But the 20-year cycle makes it almost impossible to even track a plan. Um, and I think that's the other thing that we must really begin to rethink. So in this context, when you talk about um, democratizing the plan, how has the maybe Delhi campaign flipped that conversation? So our hope is this, that you take the, the two things that we just outlined, this, this notion that planning is technical and complex and expert-led, and the fact that there is no entry point where people are invited into the participation. So the, for the first one, our big thing is break this down. Make it about the way in which people talk about cities every day. Simple question, what should your city be like? Right? And what does it take to get to the city to that vision? So what it's meant as a campaign for us is to sit with a whole set of people who themselves never thought the plan had anything to do with them. Like street vendors are very clear about the plan because their work is so spatial. But when you talk about waste pickers or domestic workers, they don't immediately say, well, what does the plan have to do with me? So the campaign's first thing was to say people should know how the plan affects them. People should care what the plan says. And people should realize while the plan can't solve a whole set of problems, there are many things it can do. And then they need to break down that complicated document and its 100 colors and 19 legends and 18 things and realize that beyond the performance of those technicalities, this is intuitive, right? And folks who can manage as informal workers in Delhi and draw from that kind of expertise and flexibility and quick thinking are absolutely capable. And the best thing is you do a two-hour workshop and people are ready. You know, so it doesn't need, it's not even like you have to immerse and sort of do that. So the first part of the campaign is take the plan to folks, sit with workers, sit with residents, sit with communities and say, you know this. 
right? You already know this. Now let's organize what we know and put it out there. So we don't train people in the plan. We make them realize that they already have tons of thoughts about planning. They just don't, they just never knew that those were thoughts that even planners would consider planning, right? That, that this is not, not any different. And the second part, of course, is that because planning is a space of power, because it has held its opacity, because it has not been democratically open, that the campaign needs the aggregated voice of all these folks saying, we have something to say, we have done our homework to know what to say, but now you're going to hear us out. And those spaces can only be made through struggle. They can only be made through insistence, right? No one is inviting you to the table to make the master plan in Delhi. You have to get on the door and keep knocking until someone opens. And the best way to do that is to organize and present a sustained front. So the, it's those two things. One is to say we will be heard. And the other is when we get to the table, we better have something to say. And we better have something to say that is not easily dismissible because it is seen as not technical. You know, so the first reaction always is, you guys don't know this, right? Yes, you have many demands, but what are your solutions? Like the standard ways in which public participation in processes shut out. So we made sure in the campaign that we have solutions to offer. We answer technical questions with technical terms. And every consultation we have, people say, I know what a layout is, I know what the reservation is, this is what I want in the resettlement colony, these are my infrastructures, right? So all of those things are placed out there. So those are the two strategies of the campaign. So where do you, uh, sort of your own experiences of having been in Delhi for all of your life, you know, your experiences as an activist, as an academic, where do they find voice within the campaign or within how the city is being shaped? So I think for me particularly, one of the big questions that we keep grappling with is we know that our cities are dominantly produced not by the plan, not by architects, not by engineers, but people. Right? And I don't even mean this in the general sense of people run our cities. They literally build them. They produce the material form. They produce the housing. Right. So I think in many places, the question for us has always been, well, then what is the point of planning if the city is produced through informality, if it's produced through this tension? And I think one of the, the way my own research has grappled to answer this is because I have always argued that while we should not ever concede the power of planning to direct outcomes and control them, we must also recognize that the impact of whatever the plan is shapes all those efforts, right? So a plan cannot give you a guaranteed outcome X. Right? I, I don't believe that. But a plan shapes the terrain of struggle for everyone else trying to produce this outcome X, right? So if a plan reserves a lot of public land, you have places at least that are not been uh, gentrified into real estate consumption. If a plan notifies no public housing, then you're fighting a totally different fight because you're fighting a housing market that is completely commodified, right? So I think that if you take particular questions for planning, in my work, I've always tried to ask the question, what is it that the plan can give those who are trying to make the city outside planning, right? And I, that relationship where you don't believe the state has control to direct outcomes, but you believe that what the state produces is absolutely critical to shaping the everyday life of other people. That is my entry point into planning. You know, and I think I think a, a notion that because informality is dominant, you seed planning, I think is a, to, in my work, I believe is a deeply erroneous assumption because we don't recognize the impact of what I've described as the traces of planning, right? We keep saying planning has failed in Delhi. When we say planning has failed in Delhi, it doesn't mean it has no impact on the ground. 
it means that it has failed in different kinds of objectives against what it said it was doing. But it still does a lot. So we have to be clear what it means for plans to think about different ways of acting, right? So does the plan think of being a set of boundaries as opposed to direct control that in this plot we will do this, in this plot we will do this? Can we think of a plan as edges? Can we think of other ways of planning that come from our understanding of the history of informality in this city? That's the kind of question I've grappled with. What are your hopes for the 2041 Delhi Master Plan? My fundamental hope for the Master Plan is that it will root itself in the actually existing city. It will face what we have, the actual existing groundwater situation, the actual existing housing situation, the actual existing transportation patterns. I think too often planning imagines itself like it has this blank butter sheet on a drafting table. And, you know, it's like this ideal type utopic freedom of saying, if I just built a new city, I would do it right this time. But we've built lots of new cities and it doesn't work that way. And I think this is what the city is. The city is not meant to be controlled. No decent city worth its name can be controlled by a plan. Right. So I think that for me, the hope in planning is start from what we have not from what you think we have. So start from the actual existing wages of residents who live in Delhi and say, what is affordable housing? Start from the actual existing employment patterns and say, what do we need in public spaces infrastructure if eight out of 10 workers work in the informal economy and half of them work in public space, right? Start looking at a landfill as an employment location, not just a waste processing infrastructure supply chain node. Let's start looking at questions of buses versus BRTs versus metros from understanding your women's labor force participation rate and understanding that the dominant mode of transport in a city like Delhi is still walking in the bus. It's not the car that seems to be ubiquitous to us, right? So I, my hope for the plan is that we begin with the real city, right? And my second hope for the plan is that it lays its cards down on the things it values. No plan can achieve everything. Right? And one of the things that really frustrates me is when you're saying the plan will do equitable and sustainable and competitive and world-class growth. They're not and words. Each of those things pulls apart from each other, going back again to where we started. Every one of those things requires land to be used in a different way. Right? And that land has a history of who owns it and who holds it. Delhi still has a way to intervene because we still have a lot of land that is publicly owned. Many other cities don't even have the option to enter into how deeply commodified our land markets are. So my hope is that we will take that this moment of intervention seriously, that we will lay out a competing set of values, right? And say, do we value sustainability more than a narrower version of economic growth? Do we value equity first? Let's have those fights. That's what will make the plan democratic. And then let's put down in some way a real grappling with the messiness of the existing city instead of yet another imagination of a technically perfect plan that doesn't look like it has anything to do with the Delhi that is actually there. That's my hope. Thank you. Italy.